Chapter the forty fourth of Poor Miss Finch. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Poor Miss Finch by Wilkie Collins. Chapter the forty fourth. Lucilla's journal continued. September the fourth. I mark this day as one of the saddest days of my life. Oscar has shown Madame Pratolungo to me in her true colours. He has reasoned out this miserable matter with a plainness which is impossible for me to resist. I have thrown away my love and my confidence on a false woman. There is no sense of honour, no feeling of gratitude or of delicacy in her nature. And I once thought her, it sickens me to recall it. I will see her no more. Note. Did it ever occur to you to be obliged to copy out with your own hand this sort of opinion of your own character? I can recommend the sensation produced as something quite new, and the temptation to add a line or two on your own account, to be as nearly as possible beyond mortal resistance. P. Oscar and I met on the stairs at eleven o'clock as we had arranged. He took me to the West Pier. At that hour of the morning, excepting a few sailors who paid no heed to us, the place was a solitude. It was one of the loveliest days of the season. When we were tired of pacing to and fro, we could sit down under the mellow sunshine and enjoy the balmy sea air. In that pure light, with all those lovely colours about us, there was something, to my mind, horribly and shamefully out of place in the talk that engrossed us talk that still turned hour after hour on nothing but plots and lies cruelty ingratitude and deceit i managed to ask my first question to make him enter on the subject at once without wasting time in phrases to prepare me for what was to come when aunt mentioned that letter at dinner yesterday i said I fancied that you knew something about it. I was right. Very nearly right, he answered. I can't say I knew anything about it. I only suspected that it was the production of an enemy of yours and mine. Not Madame Pratolungo? Yes, Madame Pratolungo. I disagreed with him at the outset. Madame Pratolungo and my aunt had quarrelled about politics. Any correspondence between them, a confidential correspondence especially, seemed to be one of the most unlikely things that could take place. I asked Oscar if he could guess what the letter contained, and why it was not to be given to me, until Crosser reported I was quite recovered. "'I can't guess at the contents. I can only guess at the object of the letter,' he said. "'What is it?' the object which she had had in view from the first, to place every possible obstacle in the way of my marrying you. What interest can she have in doing that? My brother's interest. Forgive me, Oscar. I cannot believe it of her. We were walking while these words were passing between us. When I said that, he stopped and looked at me very earnestly. "'You believed it of her when you answered my letter,' he said. "'I admitted that. "'I believed your letter,' I replied. "'And I shared your opinion of her as long as she was in the same house with me. 
her presence fed my anger and my horror of her in some way that i can't account for now she has left me now i have had time to think there is something in her absence that pleads for her and tortures me with doubts if i have done right i can't explain it i don't understand it i only know that so it is he still looked at me more and more attentively your good opinion of her must have been very firmly rooted to assert itself in this obstinate manner he said what can she have done to deserve it if i had looked back through my old recollections of her and had recalled them one by one it would only have ended in making me cry and yet i felt that i ought to stand up for her as long as i could i managed to meet the difficulty in this way i will tell you what she did i said after i receive your letter fortunately for me she was not very well that morning and she breakfasted in bed i had plenty of time to compose myself and to caution zilla who read your letter to me before we met for the first time that day on the previous day i had felt hurt and offended with her for the manner in which she accounted for your absence from browndown i thought she was not treating me with the same confidence which i should have placed in her if our positions had been reversed when i next saw her having your warning in my mind i made my excuses and said what i thought she would expect me to say under the circumstances in my excitement and my wretchedness i dare say i overacted my part at any rate i roused suspicion in her that something was wrong she not only asked me if anything had happened she went the length of saying in so many words that she thought she saw a change in me i stopped it there by declaring that i did not understand her she must have seen that i was not telling the truth she must have known as well as i knew that i was concealing something from her for all that not one word more escaped her lips a proud delicacy i saw it as plainly in her face as i now see you a proud delicacy silenced her she looked wounded and hurt i have been thinking of that look since i have been here i have asked myself what did not occur to me at the time if a false woman who knew herself to be guilty would have behaved in that way surely a false woman would have set her wits against mine and would have tried to lead me into betraying to her what discoveries i had really made oscar that delicate silence that wounded look will plead for her when i think of her in her absence i cannot feel as satisfied as i once did that she is the abominable creature you declare her to be i know you are incapable of deceiving me i know you believe what you say but is it not possible that appearances have misled you can you really be sure that you have made some dreadful mistake without answering me he suddenly stopped on a seat under the stone parapet of the pier and signed to me to sit down by him i obeyed instead of looking at me he kept his head turned away looking out over the sea i could not make him out he perplexed he almost alarmed me have i offended you i asked he turned towards me again 
as abruptly as he had turned away. His eyes wandered, his face was pale. "'You're a good, generous creature,' he said in a confused, hasty way. "'Let us talk of something else.' "'No!' I answered. "'I am too deeply interested in knowing the truth to talk of anything else.' His colour changed again at that. His face flushed. He gave a heavy sigh, as one does sometimes, when one is making a great effort. "'You will have it?' he said. "'I will have it.' He rose again. The nearer he was to telling me all that he had kept concealed from me thus far, the harder it seemed to be to him to say the first words. "'Do you mind walking on again?' he asked. I silently rose on my side and put my arm in his. We walked on slowly towards the end of the pier. Arrived there, he stood still and spoke those hard first words, looking out over the broad blue waters, not looking at me. "'I won't ask you to take anything for granted on my assertion only,' he began. "'The woman's own words, the woman's own actions shall prove her guilty.' I interrupted him by a question. "'Tell me one thing,' I said. "'What first made you suspect her?' "'You first made me suspect her by what you said of her at Browndown,' he answered. "'Now, carry your memory back to the time I have already mentioned in my letter, when she betrayed herself to you in the rectory garden. Is it true that she said you would have fallen in love with Nugent if you had met him first instead of me?' "'It is true that she said it,' I answered. "'At a moment,' I added, "'when her temper had got the better of her, and when mine had got the better of me. Advance the hour a little, he went on, to the time when she followed you to Browndown. Was she still out of temper when she made her excuses to you? No. Did she interfere when Nugent took advantage of your blindness to make you believe you were talking to me? No. Was she out of temper then? I still defended her. She might well have been angry, I said. She had made her excuses to me in the kindest manner, and I had received them with the most unpardonable rudeness. My defence produced no effect on him. He summed it up coolly so far. She compared me disadvantageously with Nugent, and she allowed Nugent to personate me in speaking to you, without interfering to stop it. In both cases, her temper excuses and accounts for her conduct. Very good. We may or may not differ so far. Before we go farther, let us, if we can, agree on one unanswerable fact. Which of us two brothers was her favourite from the first? About that there could be no doubt. I admitted at once that Nugent was her favourite, and more than this I remember accusing her myself of never having done justice to Oscar from the first. Note. See the sixteenth chapter, and Madame Pratolungo's remark, warning you that you would hear of this circumstance again, P. Oscar went on. Bear that in mind, he said, and now let us get to the time when we were assembled in your sitting-room to discuss the subject of the operation on your eyes. 
The question before us, as I remember it, was this. Were you to marry me before the operation, or were you to keep me waiting until the operation had been performed, and the cure was complete? How did Madame Pretolungo decide on that occasion? She decided against my interests. She encouraged you to delay our marriage. I persisted in defending her. She did that out of sympathy with me, I said. He surprised me by again accepting my view of the matter without attempting to dispute it. We will say she did it out of sympathy with you, he proceeded. Whatever her motives might be, the result was the same. My marriage to you was indefinitely put off, and Madame Prussalungo voted for that delay. And your brother, I added, took the other side and tried to persuade me to marry you first. How can you reconcile that with what you have told me? He interposed before I could say more. Don't bring my brother into the inquiry, he said. My brother at that time could still behave like an honourable man and sacrifice his own feelings to his duty to me. Let us strictly confine ourselves, for the present, to what Madame Pretolungo said and did, and let us advance again to a few minutes later on the same day, when our little domestic dispute had ended. My brother was the first to go. Then you retired, and left Madame Pretolungo and me alone in the room. Do you remember? I remembered perfectly. You had bitterly disappointed me, I said. You had shown no sympathy with my eagerness to be restored to the blessing of sight. You made objections and started difficulties. I recollect speaking to you with some of the bitterness that I felt, blaming you for not believing in my future as I believed in it, and hoping as I hoped, and then leaving you and locking myself up in my own room. In those terms, I satisfy him that my memory of the events of that day was as clear as his own. He listened without making any remarks, and went on when I had done. Madame Pretolungo shared your hard opinion of me on that occasion, he proceeded, and expressed it in infinitely stronger terms. She betrayed herself to you in the rectory garden. She betrayed herself to me after you had left us together in the sitting-room. Her hasty temper again, beyond all doubt, I quite agree with you. What she said to me in your absence, she would never have said if she had been mistress of herself. I began to feel a little startled. How is it that you now tell me of this for the first time? I said. Were you afraid of distressing me? I was afraid of losing you, he answered. Hitherto I had kept my arm in his. I drew it out now. If his reply meant anything, it meant that he had once thought me capable of breaking faith with him. He saw that I was hurt. Remember, he said, that I had unhappily offended you that day, and that you have not heard yet what Madame Pretolungo had the audacity to say to me under those circumstances. What did she say to you? This. It would have been a happier prospect for Lucilla if she had been going to marry your brother instead of marrying you. I repeat literally. Those were the words. 
I could no more believe it of her than I could have believed it of myself. Are you really sure? I asked him. Can she have said anything so cruel to you as that? Instead of answering me, he took his pocket-book from the breast-pocket of his coat, searched in it, and produced a morsel of folded and crumpled paper. He opened the paper, and showed me some writing inside. "'Is that my writing?' he asked. It was his writing. I had seen enough of his letters since the recovery of my sight to feel sure of that. "'Read it,' he said, "'and judge for yourself.' Note. You have made your acquaintance with this letter already in my thirty-second chapter. I had said those foolish words to Oscar, as you will find in my record of the time, under the influence of a natural indignation, which any other woman with a spark of spirit in her would have felt in my place. Instead of personally remonstrating with me, Oscar had, as usual, gone home and written me a letter of expostulation. Having on my side had time to cool, and feeling the absurdity of our exchanging letters when we were within a few minutes' walk of each other, I had gone straight to Browndown on receiving the letter, first crumpling it up, and, as I supposed, throwing it into the fire. After personally setting myself right with Oscar, I had returned to the rectory, and had there heard that Nugent had been to see me in my absence. I had waited a little while alone in the sitting-room, and had gone away again. When I tell you that the letter which he was now showing to Lucilla was that same letter of Oscar's, which I had, as I believed, destroyed, you will understand that I had thrown it into the fender instead of into the fire, and that I failed to see it in the fender on my return, simply because Nugent had seen it first and had taken it away with him. These particulars are described in greater detail in the chapter which I have referred the letter itself being there inserted at full length. However, I will save you the trouble of looking back. I know how you hate trouble. By transcribing literally what I find before me in the journal. The original letter is pasted on the page. I will copy it from the page for the second time. Am I not good to you? What author, by profession, would do as much for you as this? I am afraid I am praising myself. Let Lucilla proceed. P. I took the letter from him and read it. At my request, he has permitted me to keep it. The letter is my justification for this thinking of Madame Pratolungo, as I now think of her. I place it here before I write another line in my journal. Madame Pratolungo, you have distressed and pained me more than I can say. There are faults and serious ones on my side, I know. I heartily beg your pardon for anything that I may have said or done to offend you. I cannot submit to your hard verdict on me. If you knew how I adore Lucilla, you would make allowances for me. You would understand me better than you do. I cannot get your last cruel words out of my ears. I cannot meet you again without some explanation of them. You stabbed me to the heart when you said this evening that it would have been a happier prospect for Lucilla if she had been going to marry my brother instead of marrying me. 
I hope you did not really mean that. Will you please write and tell me whether you did or not? My first proceeding, after reading those lines, was, of course, to put my arm again in his, and to draw him as close to me as close could be. My second proceeding followed in due time. I asked, naturally, for Madame Pretolungo's answer to that most affectionate and most touching letter. "'I have no answer to show you,' he said. "'You have lost it?' I asked. "'I never had it.' "'What do you mean?' "'Madame Pretolungo never answered my letter.' I made him repeat that once, twice. Was it not incredible that such an appeal could be made to any woman, not utterly depraved, and be left unnoticed?' Twice he reiterated the same answer. Twice he declared on his honour that not a line of reply had been returned to him. She was then utterly depraved. No, there was a last excuse left that justice and friendship might still make for her. I made it. There is but one explanation of her conduct, I said. She never received the letter. Where did you send it to? To the rectory. Who took it? My own servant. He may have lost it on the way, and have been afraid to tell you, or the servant at the rectory may have forgotten to deliver it. Oscar shook his head. Quite impossible. I know Madame Pretolunga received that letter. How? I found it crumpled up in a corner inside the fender in your sitting-room at the rectory had it been opened it had been opened she had received it she had read it and she had not thrown quite far enough to throw it into the fire now lucilla is madame pretolungo an injured woman and am i a man who has slandered her there was another public seat a few paces distant from us I could stand no longer. I went away by myself and sat down. A dull sensation possessed me. I could neither speak nor cry. There I sat in silence, slowly wringing my hands in my lap and feeling the last ties that still bound me to the once loved friend of former days, falling away one after the other and leaving us parted for life. He followed me and stood over me. He summed her up in stern, quiet tones which carried conviction into my mind, and made me feel ashamed of myself for having ever regretted her. Look back for the last time, Lucilla, at what this woman has said and done. You will find that the idea of your marrying Nugent is, under one form or another, always present to her mind, present alike when she forgets herself and speaks in a rage or when she reflects and speaks with a purpose. At one time she tells you that you would have fallen in love with Nugent if you had seen him first. At another time she stands by while Nugent is personating me to you and never interferes to stop it. And a third occasion she sees that you are offended with me and triumphs so cruelly in seeing it that she tells me to my face your prospect would have been a much happier one 
if you had been engaged to marry my brother instead of me she is asked in writing civilly and kindly asked to explain what she means by those abominable words she has had time to reflect since she spoke them and what does she do does she answer me no she contentiously tosses my letter into the fireplace add to these plain facts what you yourself have observed nugent has all her admiration nugent is her favourite from the first she has always disliked and wronged me add to this again that nugent as i know for certain privately confessed to her that he was himself in love with you look at all these circumstances and what plain conclusion follows i ask you once more is madame pratolungo a slandered woman or am i right in warning you as you once warned me to beware of her what could i do but own that he was right it was due to him and due to me to close my heart to her from that moment oscar sat down by me and took my hand after my experience of her in the past he went on softly can you wonder that i dread what she may do in the future has no such thing ever happened as the parting of true lovers by treachery which has secretly undermined their confidence in each other is madame pratolungo not clever enough and unscrupulous enough to undermine our confidence and to turn against us to the wicked purpose the influence which she already possesses at the rectory how do we know that she is not in communication with nugent at this moment i stopped him there i could not endure it you have seen your brother i said you have told me that you and he understand each other what have you to dread after that i have to dread madame pratolungo's influence and my brother's infatuation for you he answered the promises which he has honestly made to me are promises which i cannot depend on when my back is turned and when madame pratolungo may be with him in my absence something under the surface is going on already i don't like that mysterious letter which is only to be shown to you on certain conditions i don't like your father's silence he has had time to answer your letter has he done it he has had time to answer my postscript has he done it those were awkward questions he had certainly left both our letters unanswered thus far still the next post might bring his reply i persisted in taking this view and i said so to oscar he persisted just as obstinately on his side suppose we go on to the end of the week he said and still no letter from your father comes for you or for me will you admit then that his silence is suspicious i will admit that his silence shows a sad want of consideration for you i replied and there you will stop you won't see what i see the influence of madame pratolungo making itself felt at the rectory and poisoning your father's mind against our marriage he was pressing me rather hardly i did my best however to tell him honestly what was passing in my mind i can see i said 
that madame pratolungo has behaved most cruelly to you and i believe after what you have told me that she would rejoice if i broke my engagement and married your brother but i cannot understand that she is mad enough to be actually plotting to make me do it nobody knows better than she does how faithfully i love you and how hopeless it would be to attempt to make me marry another man with the stupidest woman living who looked at you two brothers knowing what she knows be stupid enough to do what you suspect madame pretolungo of doing i thought this unanswerable he had his reply to it ready for all that if you had seen more of the world lucilla he said you would know that a true love like yours is a mystery to a woman like madame pretolungo she doesn't believe in it she doesn't understand it she knows herself to be capable of breaking any engagement if the circumstances encouraged her and she estimates your fidelity by her knowledge of her own nature there is nothing in her experience of you or in her knowledge of my brother's disfigurement to discourage such a woman from scheming to part us she has seen for herself what you have already told me that you have got over your first aversion to him she knows that women as charming as you are have over and over again married men far more personally repulsive than my brother lucilla something which is not to be out-argued and not to be contradicted tells me that her return to england will be fatal to my hopes if that return finds you and me with no closer tie between us than the tie that binds us now are these fanciful apprehensions unworthy of a man my darling worthy or not worthy you ought to make allowances for them they are apprehensions inspired by my love for you under those circumstances i could make every allowance for him and i said so he moved nearer to me and put his arm round me are we not engaged to each other to be man and wife yes are we not both of age and both free to do as we like yes would you relieve me from the anxieties under which i am suffering if you could you know i would you can relieve me how by giving me a husband's claim to you lucilla by consenting to marry me in london in a fortnight's time i started back and looked at him in amazement for the moment i was incapable of answering in any other way than that i ask you to do nothing unworthy of you he said i have spoken to a relative of mine living near london a married lady whose house is open to you in the interval before our wedding day when your visit has been prolonged over a fortnight only we can be married write home by all means to prevent them from feeling anxious about you tell them that you are safe and happy and under responsible and respectable care but say no more as long as it is possible for madame pretolungo to make mischief between us conceal the place in which you are living the instant we are married reveal everything let all your friends let all the world know that we are man and wife his arm trembled round me his face flushed deep his eyes devoured me 
some women in my place might have been offended others might have been flattered as for me i can trust the secret to these pages i was frightened is it an elopement that you are proposing to me i asked an elopement he repeated between two engaged people who have only themselves to think of i have my father to think of and my aunt to think of i said you are proposing to me to run away from them and to keep in hiding from them i am asking you to pay a visit at the house of a married lady and to keep the knowledge of that visit from the ears of the worst enemy you have until you have become my wife he answered is there anything so terrible in my request that you should turn pale at it and look at me in that frightened way have i not courted you with your father's consent am i not your promised husband are we not free to decide for ourselves there is literally no reason if it could be done why we should not be married to-morrow and you still hesitate lucilla lucilla you force me to own the doubt that has made me miserable ever since i have been here are you indeed as changed towards me as you seem do you really no longer love me as you once loved me in the days that are gone he rose and walked away a few paces leaning over the parapet with his face in his hands i sat alone not knowing what to say or do the uneasy sense in me that he had reason to complain of my treating him coldly was not to be dismissed from my mind by any effort that i could make he had no right to expect me to take the step which he had proposed there were objections to it which any woman would have felt in my place still though i was satisfied of this there was an obstinate something in me which would take his part it could not have been my conscience surely which said to me there was a time when his entreaties would have prevailed on you there was a time when you would not have hesitated as you are hesitating now whatever the influence was it moved me to rise from my seat and to join him at the parapet you cannot expect me to decide on such a serious matter as this at once i said will you give me a little time to think you are your own mistress he rejoined bitterly why ask me to give you time you can take any time you please you can do as you like give me till the end of the week i went on let me be sure that my father persists in not answering either your letter or mine though i am my own mistress nothing but his silence can justify me in going away secretly and being married to you by a stranger don't press me oscar it isn't very long to the end of the week something seemed to startle him something in my voice perhaps which told him that i was really distressed he looked round at me quickly and caught me with the tears in my eyes don't cry for god's sake he said it shall be as you wish take your time we will say no more about it till the end of the week he kissed me in a hurried startled way and gave me his arm to walk back grosser is coming to-day he continued 
he mustn't see you looking as you are looking now you must rest and compose yourself come home i went back with him feeling oh so sad and sore at heart my last faint hope of a renewal of my once pleasant intimacy with madame pratolungo was at an end she stood revealed to me now as a woman who i ought never to have known a woman with whom i could never again exchange a friendly word i had lost the companion with whom i had once been so happy and i had pained and disappointed oscar my life has never looked so wretched and so worthless to me as it looked to-day on the pier at ramsgate he left me at the door with a gentle encouraging pressure of my hand i will call again later he said and hear what gross's report of you is before he goes back to london rest lucilla rest and compose yourself a heavy footstep sounded suddenly behind us as he spoke we both turned round time had slipped by more rapidly than we had thought there stood herr grosser just arrived on foot from the railway station his first look at me seemed to startle and disappoint him his eyes stared into mine through his spectacles with an expression of surprise and anxiety which i had never seen in them before then he turned his head and looked at oscar with a sudden change a change unpleasantly suggestive to my fancy of anger or distrust not a word fell from his lips oscar was left to break the awkward silence he spoke to grosser i won't disturb you and your patient now he said i will come back in an hour's time no you will come in along with me if you please i have something my young gentlemen's that i may want to say to you he spoke with a frown on his bushy eyebrows and pointed in a very peremptory manner to the house door oscar rang the bell at the same moment my aunt hearing us outside appeared on the balcony above the door good morning mr grosser she said i hope you find lucilla looking her best only yesterday i expressed my opinion that she was quite well again grosser took off his hat sulkily to my aunt and looked back again at me looked so hard and so long that he began to confuse me your aunt's opinions is not my opinions he growled close at my ear i don't like the looks of you miss go in the servant was waiting for us at the open door i went in without making any answer grosser waited to see oscar enter the house before him oscar's face darkened as he joined me in the hall he looked half angry half confused grosser pushed himself roughly between us and gave me his arm i went upstairs with him wondering what it all meant End of chapter the forty fourth